0: My name is Zach. I'm a pastor here at New Hope. And um, today I'm going to be kind of tying up what we've been talking about these last few weeks. We've been talking about what Jesus did on the cross. And uh, at first glance, you may be thinking like, oh, that's easy. You know, that's a simple answer. You know, he, he died for our sins. And that's true. But the reason we go there immediately is because you and I grow up in a culture here in the Western Hemisphere, or most of us who've grown up in a culture here in the Western Hemisphere, where that is how we look at most things. We base things on guilt and on innocence. That's kind of our standard. Uh, For instance, we place a lot on individualism. We believe in freedoms and rights. But with freedoms and rights... Come laws because we got to keep you in check. You can't just do anything you want. We've got to have a a system of management there and so right and wrong laws. If you do something wrong, if you break the law, then you're guilty. You're guilty because you have done something wrong and now you have to pay for that and so we have a a justice system that's based on that concept. You commit a crime, you go to jail, you pay the fine, you pay the penalty, right? And so we look at the cross, crosses, we say, Jesus died for our sin, for our guilt, and he gave us his innocence, right? But what if I went to Latin America, or Sub-Saharan Africa, or to a place with kind of a, a tribal system in place? Well, guilt-innocence isn't going to be the primary thing that they look at. It's going to be power-fear. Or power weakness, right? The idea um, is kind of based on a heavy emphasis on the spiritual realm. That people that have a power weakness culture base their decisions on the spirits that be, on the supernatural, on gods, right? Maybe not just supernatural things, but maybe people that are in power over them like overlords, for instance, like warlords, or dictators, or Slave owners. Slavery is still alive today in the world. That's a thing. And so with those cultures come taboos, the no-nos of society, superstitions, spells, rituals, sacrifices, because you've got to keep the gods appeased. You've got to keep the spirits at bay. You've got to keep The dictator or the slave owner or the warlord happy because there's people in power or or spirits in power over you. And you want to keep them happy because you want your life to go well. So you do the things that they require to make sure that that happens. What about in Middle Eastern culture or Asian culture? It's an honor-shame culture. That's the one we're going to be focusing on today. In honor-shame culture, family is incredibly important community personal relationships reputation and social status are all incredibly important in an honor shame society so basically the idea is you got a good family you follow the norms you got good social standing you're you're a person people respect you have honor but if you do something wrong if you if you Bring Dishonor upon yourself by something you do or something dishonorable happens to you. You bring dishonor upon yourself But moreover you bring dishonor on the people that you love You bring dishonor on your family and on your friends and on your community on your people at large, right? And so you may be thinking like well, hey, um, that's great, but you just said we're an innocent, guilty mindset. That's what we care about. So why are we talking about these other things? Well, one of those reasons is because all of these concepts, all of these worldviews are alive and well in the United States right now. Historically, we've been an innocent guilt society overall. But over the years, we've had these other influences creep in. Now, with with slavery coming to America, that created a power weakness or a power fear society in America. Randy talked about that last week with the slave trade in America. It kind of got revitalized, though, in the 1970s when the New Age movement came up. You guys familiar with the New Age movement, with spiritualism? The idea is, basically, I speak my truth into existence. I manifest my destiny into existence. And so, constantly, anybody that finds themselves in the New Age movement, in the spiritual movement, is constantly having to check themselves that... They have to make sure every single thing they think, every single thing they do, their energy is good, their vibes are good. It's just positive things I'm putting out into the universe and the universe will give me back positive vibes, good things, good energy. You're under the thumb of your God. You're under the thumb of the universe that you're constantly having to appease it so it will treat you right. Karma. It's the karmic system essentially, right? So that's that's your... Uh, That's your power weakness, but what about honor-shame? Where'd that come from? Where's that today? Social media, cancel culture, and the American dream. That's going to make a few people mad. We'll get there. Um, (laughs) The thing is, talking about about honor-shame specifically... That's something I am relatively familiar with. Now, I don't generally like to talk about my story because I don't think there's a whole lot of use to bring it up very often. But I do believe that testimonies can be a good thing and a powerful thing when used properly, and I think mine fits in here. Um, I was raised in a good family. My family raised me right. They taught me right. I was a good kid. I was honestly, like, good to a fault because I, I didn't develop the appropriate social cues. I didn't understand when somebody was being mean to me sometimes. Like, I didn't understand sarcasm, right? I gave everybody the benefit of the doubt. And it's, that's not exactly a great position to be in all the time. And so, growing up was fine, but then I hit middle school, and I was overweight, and I wasn't into the things that the other guys were into, I was into music and I was into, you know, theater or band, stuff like that. Like I liked acting. I liked all those artsy kind of things. And so immediately I'm getting made fun of because I'm overweight. And I've got these guys that I thought were my friends are calling me gay. And I don't know where that's coming from. And I'm like, well, wait, what? You know, I felt ashamed. I I was getting picked on by these people that I thought my friends. And now I'm trying to compensate for it. And I don't know how. So I I get to high school and I go and I play baseball and I play football and I'm like, I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to look better. And so I did. I got in shape and I figured out how to kind of fit in, how to kind of fake my personality and be who people kind of wanted me to be. And so I started hanging out with the cool kids and I kind of got brought into their club. But then that meant, well, now I'm going to the parties. Now I'm drinking. By the time I hit college, now it's recreational drug use. Now it's sleeping around because I've got something to prove. I took all these pictures of what I thought honor looked like, of what I thought a good reputation looked like, and I chased that. I put all my effort into that. I put all my energy, day and night, into that. And my grades could fail, and my work could fail. It didn't matter because I needed to be this. Because that's what mattered. I needed respect. I needed honor. And the thing is, the more I put in those things, it all just brought me nothing. It just made me empty inside. I just became apathetic. I was broken. I I didn't care about anything. All those things were worthless and I thought they were what I needed, but they weren't. And you may be listening to me right now and be like, dude, we rolled into the wrong church this morning because this guy's kind of screwed up. Um, Here's the deal. Maybe you're nothing like that. Maybe you didn't Fall into any of those categories. Maybe none of that stuff enticed you. Maybe that's not where you thought honor was found. Maybe you're like, ah, oh, that's how scumbags are, you know? But what do you find your honor in? Where do you go for honor? Where do you seek honor? Social media? How many likes you got on that last post? If you won that argument? If you won that argument in person? Is it in being right? Is it in being deemed right and putting the other person down and showing that you are more right than they are? Is it in how many followers you got on Instagram, on TikTok? How many tweets you sent this year? How clever you are? What kind of following you've developed? Is it in not getting canceled? Is it in just keeping your head low, keeping your head down? Because as long as people aren't calling me out, as long as nobody's pointing the finger at me, then I'm good, I'm good. You don't don't have to believe everything everybody else believes. I just don't need to say anything controversial to make sure that I am good. I'm safe. I'm not canceled. Is it in just following into the status quo? Is Is that it? Is it in the American dream? We turn the American dream into the American law sometimes. The American cage. We think, if I just can fulfill that dream, if I can just get that house, and that 2.3 kids, or whatever the nuclear family is, and get the right wife, yeah, it's, it's a weird statistic, but it's a thing, get the right wife, you know, get the right husband, get the right car, if I have a good job, if people respect me, if I have a, a respectable position in the community, if I've got the nicest lawn in the HOA, you know, what is it? Where do you find honor? Where are you seeking honor? I think of a story about a guy whose son comes to him and he says, Dad, I want, I want my inheritance. And so his dad divides up his things and he develops his inheritance and he gives it to his two boys. Now the one boy takes his inheritance and he goes and does great things with it. But the other son, he takes his money and he gets out of town. And he goes to the city, and he goes, and he drinks, and he gambles, and he hangs out with the prostitutes, and he's sleeping around, and he's doing everything he thinks he needs to to be cool. Everything he thinks he needs to to live a fulfilling life. He's chasing honor. He's chasing being this idea of what he thinks he needs to be. And one day, he finds himself at the bottom of the barrel to the point where he sees some pigs eating. And he's looking and he's thinking, man, their food looks better than mine. And I don't know how to say this, but if you find yourself in that position, you are at the bottom of the barrel. So heads up. But he gets to thinking and he's like, well, even the servants in my father's household eat better than this. And he starts thinking, he's like, I, I, I don't even deserve to be called his son. I've taken the inheritance. I've blown it all. I have nothing to show for it. I am a wasteful human being. I am dishonorable. I I've, I've brought dishonor on him. I brought dishonor on my brother, on our household. I don't deserve to go back home. So what I'll do is I'll go back and I'll tell him that. I'll say, I don't even deserve to be your son. But please just let me be a servant because I just need something to eat. And so he goes back home, he finally works up the nerve, and he goes back home, and he's, he's expecting his dad to meet him with all this aggression, and anger, and hate, but his dad sees him off in the distance, and he comes running at him, and he meets him in this embrace, and, and the son looks at his dad, and he's like, Dad, I'm, I'm sorry, like, I've wasted all your money, I've wasted everything you've given me, I've brought nothing but dishonor on you, I don't deserve to be counted as your son, can I just be your servant? And the dad hugs him, and he yells to his servants, he says, Go and kill a fattened calf and prepare a feast. And he puts a ring on his son's finger, and he clothes him in the finest clothes. And he says, My son was gone, but he came back home. He was dead, but now he's alive. Don't you want that? That's free. That's for you. You can have that. And you know where we find that? Do you know where we find honor? Even when we don't deserve it? Not in the things of this world. We put up all our trust in the stuff in this world and the ideologies of this world and whatever we think is going to bring us happiness. Happiness, but it it doesn't. Those things crumble. Those things fade away. They're all man-made. Where we find our honor is in our father. Just like the prodigal son. Now we know that's a parable. It's not our earthly father. It's our heavenly father. Jesus is talking about God that we we're all sons of God that fell away and went our own way and we all deserve to be dishonored. But if we just come back home, we are accepted into the family. We are celebrated, we're loved, we are honored. How do we come back home? If you're listening right now and you're like, "I want that." <laughs> How do I get that? Through Jesus. When Jesus was crucified, they hung a thief on either side of him. They hung criminals on either side of him. And this is what they said. If we look at Luke 23, 39 through 43, the first, thief, the first criminal, he says, one of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you've been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. Let's... Let's hash that out, because that needs context. Because here's the thing, if you just read the Bible, if you just read it straight through and you don't stop to think about what you're reading, it's very just precise and very accurate information, but it's not like illustrated well. You have to stop and you have to really think about it. And if we look at the context of this situation, we have to bring into the, into the context that one week before this, On the day that we're celebrating today, Palm Sunday, the God of the universe rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. And the people met Him with praise. They laid down their, their, their clothing and they and they praised him with these palm branches and they waved him in. They gave him a king's entrance. They gave him an honorable entrance because this is the Messiah. This is the guy that's come to save us. This is the guy that's gonna free us from Rome's grasp. And one week later, he's beaten within an inch of his life. He's stripped almost completely naked. They place a crown of thorns on his head and then they nail him to this, this cross and they raise him up for everybody to make fun of him. And they write King of the Jews above his head because they just want to rub it in a little further. We watch movies like The Passion of the Christ and we see pictures of Jesus in that movie and we think that's so horrible. I can't believe they did that to him. I can't even watch it. My mom can't watch it without crying. It messes her up every time she sees it. But here's the crazy thing. It's not even close. When we read Isaiah and it talks about the suffering servant, it says that the suffering servant, the Messiah, that he's going to be beaten and scarred and destroyed so badly that he's not even going to resemble a human being. That when you look at him, when you look at the passion of the Christ, you see Jesus and you're like, wow, he's really messed up. That's horrible. He's he's scarred up and he's covered in blood. But Isaiah says he doesn't even look like a person anymore. That when you look at him, he's not even human in appearance. And I want you to recognize that he's raised up on that cross and when that first criminal looks at him, he sees this bloody mess this less than human thing on this cross and he says you're the Messiah you're it you're what they've written about for thousands of years you're the guy we've been waiting for then lift yourself up off this thing and do something about it just judges him he just sees nothing but that other thief He looks at himself and he says, I'm supposed to be hanging here. I'm a dishonorable man. I I committed a crime and I brought dishonor on myself and on my family and on my friends and on my people because Israel is an honor-shame culture. Or sorry, uh, yes, yes. Um, And so the thief, he's recognizing, I deserve to be here. You deserve to be here. Why are you talking to him like that though? Because he doesn't deserve to be here. Because when that thief looked at Jesus, he didn't see this this bloody, disgusting, unhuman thing. He saw the God of the universe. He saw the Messiah that had been prophesied for generations. He saw the man that he'd heard about his whole life. He saw the true king, the only honorable man, the man that honor is based on. He saw that man raised up on a cross and dying. And so he looked at Jesus and he said, Jesus, will you please, when you step into your glory, when you step into your honor, when you are in your kingdom, when you're seated on that throne, when you take all the nations back, would you please just do me this one small favor and please just remember me? Would you just think of me? If it's only for a second, would you just think of me? Would you just remember me? For the briefest moment, would this conversation just come into your mind? But the thing is, when Jesus looked at that man, that, that, that dishonorable, horrible thief that deserved to hang there, that criminal that deserved to die, when Jesus looked at him, he didn't see a criminal. And he didn't see a dishonorable man. And he didn't see a broken man. He saw his son. He saw his brother. He saw a prince. Because when he looked at that man, because of that man's faith, Jesus saw himself in that man. That that man's faith made him honorable by Jesus' blood. That that man's faith made him innocent in the eyes of God. That it made him powerful because of Jesus' power. That's what Jesus did on that cross. I was talking to Randy last week and uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar. Salty Saints is our podcast and it's kind of our online ministry. uh, One of them. And um, we recently gave it its own YouTube channel. and We're trying to push it and trying to to do some good with it and, and make it grow. And I was talking to Randy and I said, man part of me really wants this thing to happen. Like, I really want this thing to blow up so, like, we've got a ministry outreach that we could never have here, that we're reaching maybe thousands of people out there in the world that we could never reach from here. And I said, and that's awesome, but the other half of me hopes it just fails miserably because if it ever made it, everybody that knew me When I was at my worst, everybody that saw me do terrible things, being a terrible person, saying horrible things, thinking horrible things, everybody that knew me back then has the absolute right to come out and say, this guy shouldn't be talking about any of this. This guy is a loser. This guy was a terrible person. He should be canceled. He should be destroyed. His reputation shouldn't exist. And Randy said, yeah, he said, "Well, why don't you just assume that that's gonna happen? Why don't you just go about your business, pretty much betting on that?" And I was like, "Back at it with the sage-like wisdom. Why has he got to do this? Like, just and uh, and he's right that." What would the world look like if we stopped trying to be something? Like we stopped trying to be honorable. We stopped trying to be innocent. We stopped trying to be powerful. We stopped seeking all this stuff and all these, these thoughts and ideologies and truths or whatever you want to call them. If we stopped pursuing making ourselves what we thought we needed to be and if we just stopped and, and recognized... Who we really are. What if we wore it on our sleeves that when we met somebody and they started asking about ourselves, we weren't afraid to hide what we've been and who we are. That we'd look at people and say, yeah, I've been a terrible sinner. I'm, I'm guilty. I deserve death at the hands of God. And I, I still sin. I sin every day. I'm a broken person. That's, that's what happens to people in a fallen world. And I'm weak. And I'm, I'm afraid of things. I, there's no power in me. And I'm dishonorable, and I bring dishonor on the people that I love because of who I am and who I've been and the things that I've done. I I am not a worthy person of anybody's love. But Jesus died for me, and Jesus is perfect in every way. And so he gives me his, his innocence where I'm guilty. He takes away that guilt and gives me innocence. He takes away my fear and my weakness, and he gives me his power. He gives me his strength. And he takes away my dishonor and he makes me a royal priest before God. He makes me a son. He makes me a prince. He makes me royalty to reign alongside him. He does all that for me. And I'm nothing but he's everything. People never have a thing on you. Doesn't matter what you did ten years ago. Doesn't matter what you did yesterday. Doesn't matter what you did 40 years ago, whatever, it doesn't matter because you don't define you. If your faith is in Christ, Jesus defines you. Let him define you. Stop, stop taking his grace. Stop taking all these attributes he's giving you so freely and then just shoving them aside the side and say, well, I, that's all true and that's all good, but I'm going to go make my own way over here at the same time. We don't need that. We've got it all. Take it. Earlier I said that the reason we were talking about all three of these things, all three of these types of of cultures, honor, shame, guilt, innocence, and power, fear, power, weakness, whatever you want to call it, is because those are all three present in America right now. And that's true. They are. But we were commissioned by Jesus to go out into the world and make disciples of every nation. How do you do that? How does that look? Why do we need to know this to do that? Because here's the deal. If I go to somebody from a Latin American culture, I go to somebody from a tribal culture or or, or an African culture, and I start saying, yeah, listen, um, Jesus died for your sins. Because you're guilty and you deserve death because of your sins. But Jesus died for your sins. So now you can be innocent. They're going to go... Okay, because what I need to say to a person from that background is, I understand that that there are forces in your life that that weigh on every decision you make, whether they be spirits or whether they be be rulers or, or principalities or whatever. But understand that my God, my Jesus is so powerful that even the grave couldn't hold him. That he overcame that, that death itself has no hold on him. That no spirit is above him, that he is the God of gods and the king of kings. And so everything in this world is beneath him and everything in the spiritual realm is beneath him. And he gives you his power if you give him your faith if I go to a person in Asia or the Middle East and I say, look, I understand that you, you, you don't bring shame, you bring shame on yourself. You don't bring honor on your family. That you're a dishonorable person. Maybe you got a past or maybe you're just tired of working so hard to meet the social standards. Well, guess what? My Jesus is the king of everything. And if you would just give him your faith, then you are a royal prince or a royal princess. You are a priest to God. You are set aside. You are his And you are honorable because he's honorable and he gives that to you. And he takes away all your shame and all your guilt. Then you might break through to those people. See, to be Jesus in every corner of our culture, tell them what they need to hear. Tell the people what they need to hear everybody's from a different background. And like I said, it's, it's in America right now. I mean, depending on what side of the political spectrum you sit on, probably has a lot to do with just the way you think about the world in general. We don't know if somebody's from a guilt-innocence background, or a power, uh, power weakness, or power fear, or honor-shame background, until we have a conversation with that person. Stop assuming everybody thinks about that cross the way you do. And find out what they cherish. And you give them what they need to hear. God has given us a mission to bring people into the fold. To make disciples of everyone. Go meet them. Go know them. And understand who you are and be straight up about who you are. Don't try and be fake. Don't try and put on a fake persona. Because I'll tell you what, that loses people faster than anything. You be real. You tell them how messed up you are. And that Jesus made you something better than that. We can do that. He did it all. It's done it. It all got done on that cross. Put faith in Him today. Thanks for tuning in to the New Hope Church podcast. If you would, do us a favor and like or subscribe on your favorite platform, we would really appreciate it. Also, if you happen to have any questions, feel free to reach out to us at questions at becomehope.com. Have a great week. And know that we are praying for you as you seek to be Jesus in every corner of your world.